When we look at any solutions, Raymond, we look for three things. One is technical feasibility. Is it technically feasible? And second is uh, supply chain feasibility, right? Is it really commercially feasible? Because at the end of the day, economics matter, right? You, you, you can have a best solution out there, but if it doesn't actually mean a cost-effective option for those who are using it, it doesn't really actually drive adoption, right? All right, my name is Raymond Hawkins. Welcome again to another edition of Not Your Father's Data Center. Today, we are joined by my friend from Cummins. I want to make sure I get it right. Govi, you are the global, or say, executive director of Global Data Center Business. So all things data center, you're in charge. Do I get that right? That is absolutely correct, Raymond. And thanks a lot for having me here. So all things data center within Cummins. Excellent. All right. So I just want to, I got to start off with a couple of really interesting facts. Your last name is Ramasamy, no W, not to be confused with any presidential candidates, right? Yeah, I don't have any aspirations whatsoever. You're not not looking, okay, just want to make sure you weren't making any announcements here today. <laughs> You're not running for office. Okay, good. All right, yeah. just want to make sure, going to stick with the data center business. Let's spend a few minutes on you, but I know you've, you've had experience all over the world. If you'll give us a little bit of your background, how you got in the data center business and some of the places you visited, because when I think about data centers, um, you've hit a lot of uh, very interesting places in our world. So you want to give us a little bit of the Govi background? That would be great. Absolutely, Raymond. Thanks a lot. It's good to talk to you over the podcast. Been with Cummins for 16, 17 years, but my story is like similar to any immigrant story coming in the U.S. Grew up in India. Came over here to study in Auburn. I believe that's your... Our War Alabama. Eagle. We share that. War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, War Eagle. Love it. 2002 to 2004. Background in supply chain operation. That's where just, just uh, some shameless promotion. Why you do your intro? That's all. <laughs> we need more of that now. That's right. Since then, uh, supply chain operation joined Cummins in 2006 in Minneapolis. We uh, in the power generation sector, so it was a really awesome experience joining Cummins back when we were actually going through the initial phase of the growth uh, driven by data centers. If you remember the, the, I wouldn't call it the badness, but actually the the huge long lead times that we had in data centers generators back in 2006, 7, 8, really through the period of that. And then came the crash. Great experience just living through the supply chain and and how uh, we reacted and went through that experience. And since then, uh, moved around uh, in different aspects within Cummins. Cummins has been awesome in giving me opportunities. Worked in China leading the power generation business for a few years when the data center was actually starting to pick up where we it moved, where it was originally dominated by the China Mobile, China Unicom, China Telecom, and Baidu, Alibaba was coming in right now, then Tencent, and then they call it IDCs, but essentially co-location players started actually picking up their uh, business. So great experience setting the business up and actually growing, working with the, with the phenomenal team that we have in China. And then uh, did some uh, gas projects, EPC. So was fortunate to actually to work in uh, implementing a lot of EPC projects in uh, Europe, in UK in particular, where the capacity market was actually is was super hard, so we delivered close to 500, 600 megawatt worth of projects uh, in, in, in UK. And then uh, prior to this, there was a leading out distribution business in Middle East, in UAE, Saudi Arabia, wow. Kuwait. And for the last two and a half years, uh, being in data center space. I thought I knew data centers before taking this role. But man, a lot of things have changed since uh, in the last, last seven years. And uh, every single day I wake up and I learn something new. It's been a phenomenal uh, ride so far. And uh, I almost feel like actually we're just getting started. Yeah, boy, man, that talk about great global experience, great market experience, the Middle East, China, Europe, 
North America. I mean, you, you've been in a lot of places and you're talking about that China Mobile, China Telecom, when they were really building out their facilities. And I think lots of people, you know, the, the supply chain crisis that came along with COVID forgets that it wasn't the first time we had a real bad supply chain issue. You're bringing up 06, right? I mean, you have to have been around a while to have remembered it, but man, uh, it's not the first time supply chain is, is, has hurt the delivery windows for all of us. All right. So, so we appreciate you hearing your professional background. I am going to be remiss. I've already held the helmet up. We got to highlight that you were at Auburn in 2004. It's worth talking about how great that team was. You were new to, to, to Auburn. Give us just two minutes. I know it's a long way back, but you can probably uh, remember two or three highlights about the 04 season for you. Uh, where do I start? So, I mean, sport has been a part of my life all through my dad. is a volleyball coach. I played volleyball all my life. My sisters played volleyball for the, for the teams in college. So coming into U.S., trying to figure out which game I can pick up because I can play basketball. But then Auburn, right, I think I, the first game that I went to was actually his Alabama game. So, oh, so it was iron ball and it was madness. And I, and I couldn't actually relate to the, the euphoria around it and so on. It's been, but I was hooked completely. And the passion and, 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 and the drive that everybody shows. The whole the university town, I think it's like 24,000 people. During that weekend, it actually goes up to like 40,000, 40,000, like sea of orange and red. And it's like, it's it's absolutely crazy. And they're great. 2004, what I remember, uh, I think at the beginning, if I'm not mistaken, 2003, Tommy Tuberville, he was almost going to be fired that year. And then somehow he came back and, and we had a new uh, offensive coordinator. Uh, and then the defensive coordinator is pretty, pretty good, actually, Gene. Um, but then we went 13-0. It was like a rollicking start from the beginning all the way through. We had like great players. I mean, you go back and look at it. You have Cardinal Williams, right? It's Cadillac Williams, what we call yeah. Ronnie Brown. And then uh, Carlos Rogers, Jason yeah. Campbell. I mean, just yes. name it. The best players of actually Auburn. And I happened to be there in every single game. One of those yes. things, the only thing I would actually feel bitter about that is actually we didn't get the national championship. That was the bummer because we were actually... Uh, we didn't get a chance to go play in the national championship. I think it was between USC and Oklahoma, if I'm not mistaken. You got it and right. We didn't get yeah. a chance. But again, 2011, 2011, we won it. So that's all that matters at the end of the day. So, so Govi, I, I love that that you were at the Iron Bowl the year before. Then you got to see the 13-0 and season. And here's the great thing about it. Lots of people say that that season changed college football because you had an undefeated SEC champion not playing in the national championship game. And if you remember, that's when everybody started going, this doesn't work. And the BCS and, and then playoffs came soon thereafter because people couldn't believe that an SEC champion wouldn't, undefeated SEC champion wouldn't be in the game. And you're right, USC plays Oklahoma and they blow Oklahoma out. It's some ridiculous number, 56 to 7 or something horrible. Yeah. And, and the great irony in that is after, years later, they find out that USC had violated a bunch of rules. The NCAA vacates the national championship. They vacate Reggie Bush's, who is their tailback, USC's tailback. He vacates the Heisman. And to this day, the NCAA record books show no national champion in 24, 2004, excuse me, which is crazy because their Auburn was at 14 and 0 in number two position, and they won't recognize us as national champions. So I'll just tell you, I have a personal letter writing campaign. I routinely write the NCAA and say, you should recognize us. So you got to live through, I think, college football history because it's the reason we have a playoff today is that season. I'm still waiting for the team to come back and actually regain the glory. I just keep checking the scores. This time it doesn't look like, but hopefully next year it'll be much better. 
Well, we're certainly headed in the right direction, but yes, you are right. The, the glory days are behind us right now, but uh, recruiting looks good. I'm, I'm fortunate I get to go to a few games, and I love what Coach Freeze is doing. I think that our expectations are only heading up, but I think 2025 is before the next time we could get really crazy excited about things. There's just a lot of rebuilding to do. All right. Well, we're glad to learn about you, your your background, uh, 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 where you grew up and where you live now. I think we didn't get that. Minneapolis, right? You're you're largely in and out of Minneapolis as you serve all over the world, right? Beautiful Minneapolis. Yeah. Lovely Minneapolis. Uh, lovely six months out of the year. A little cold the other six. <laughs> well, uh, with the climate change, I would say it's getting to be about seven to eight months. Okay. So Very I fair. I to say yeah. that, but seven no. months, eight months is okay. I got yeah. it. All right. Seven months is fair to my friends in, uh, in in Minneapolis. All right, so let's talk about some things that, that impact mine and your business every day. Um, l- let's start with, you know, I, I think it's one that's it's on the top of everybody's mind. Our industry is seen to be a big power you know, eater, and I think that comes with some assumptions about how concerned are we about the environment, how green are we, and how do we handle, you know, the, the, the level of consumption required to do what we do, how do we handle it in a responsible way. We can go with that in many directions, but as as a guy who uh, you know uh, handles the data center business for a diesel generation company, that's probably a subject that's high on your list, and also maybe a little challenging to talk about. But I think I think we as an industry do a great job being good stewards of the environment, and love to hear how Cummins thinks about that. Absolutely, thank you, Raymond. I get asked this question all the time, and for the record, actually, I don't shy away from talking, and that's part and parcel of actually who we are in the company as well, because it's an industry problem. Uh, our generators, the backup, we provide backup like, source for source of power for data centers. When everything goes off, like when the power goes out, then we are the last line of defense to come to bring it online, right? Cummins, Caterpillar, MTO, Kohler, those who are playing in the market. So we play a critical role of actually making sure the lights are on when the power goes off. And our job is to actually make sure that we understand where the dynamics of the market head to, the the concern about the decarbonization, the carbon, the climate change and everything, and make sure that actually we come up with viable solutions that help the industry move along. So if you don't come out and talk openly about the challenges that actually that the that are facing in front of us in terms of grid constraints, climate change and carbon uh, greenhouse emissions and so on, we are doing it the service. So I'm more than actually happy to actually come and talk about it. And and uh, we are doing a lot to, uh, to learn about the problem and see what kind of solution that we can actually offer that can address that as well. And it is an industry-wide problem. It's not actually specific to one particular component manufacturer or one particular sector in the industry. It is an industry-wide problem. And and uh, I am glad to be in this place in this time to actually to work with the industry players to find solutions that make sense. And even if you take data center industry in general, I would probably say the data center industry has been one of the most forthcoming in terms of like publishing how much energy is being consumed and also pushing the grid and the utility to actually to in, incorporate and integrate more renewable solutions into the grid, right? And and down to actually tracking how much of their power consumption is met by hourly matching of renewable energy and so on. So the industry is doing a lot more. Of course, there's a lot more that needs to be done, but we must recognize where we come from as well so that we can understand where we need to go. The challenge that is in front of us is like a bit different where because, because of the significant growth in digital infrastructure dependence of economy and this AI-driven demand that I'm pretty sure that everybody's talking about the data center industry and the grid constraints that are actually emerging, right? We have a short-term problem in the next several years that we need to address. 
And the solutions that would actually help us overcome the challenge in the next three to five years may not be the longer term solutions, but maybe a good bridge solution to get to the longer term solutions for which there's a lot that has to happen in the broader economy. So those are the things that we have to take into consideration that keeps us actually awake at, the, uh, at, at all times to understand where the industry is heading, where the economy is heading, and how, as a company, we can actually show up and, and deliver those solutions. Yeah, Govi, I think you raise, first of all, I think that's an excellent summary. I think our industry is very much in the forefront of being aware of, hey, where, what's our, where's our power coming from? How are we impacting the planet? Are we consuming the power we are in a responsible way? I think it's it's on the top of mind and on the tips of people's lips all over our business. So I think we're very aware and I think we're good global stewards of what we consume. And we'd agree with you wholeheartedly on that. From the processor all the way out to generation, right? And, and you guys being in that generation chain. I'd, I'd also would love to hear your thoughts on this this constraint that we see globally, right? And, and you alluded to the AI spike. We can talk about AI demand, but but really, it's it's I, when I look at the hole in the market or or the pain point in the market, it's really around: is there enough power where we need it when we need it because of the spike in demand? And it, and it's been a spike in demand in all the big markets, right? Either we have a generation problem in a market or we have a distribution problem in a market. But we've 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 stretched those markets to the breaking point. And I agree with you. We've got to come up with some three to five year solutions. Because the demand's not going away, so what? So how how are you guys at Cummins thinking about that? And I'll use the word bridging power, even though I know that could get misconstrued. But as we think about the global power demand by market, how are you guys thinking about helping bridge that gap? So we kind of look at it in two different ways, right? One is how do we provide solutions that can allow a data center operator to get up and running, right? So if there are good constraints and there are emission regulations that actually governs what kind of equipment that you can put on the site to allow you to get up and running. So that's the problem that we actually look at as one way, right? And the second one is actually, how do you do it in a sustainable way, right? Where, how do you slowly reduce the carbon intensity and the carbon kind of actually operations of those equipment that you put on the ground? So we kind of look at it in two different ways. And our view is right now, if you look at, go by strictly with the EPA regulations, most of the markets, even if you look at US, right, it requires the tier two emissions, right? And, and it, it, it is way different than actually way lower than compared to the world unregulated markets. But what we're seeing is actually is uh, when there are grid constraints, I mean, take, for example, in, in Arizona or in, uh, or in Northern Virginia, where there are grid constraints, as you said, it's the power is available, but may not be available 24-7, 365 days a year. So we are seeing that actually that, that there are some emerging pockets where the role of the backup power source in the data center may be changing slowly and gradually from being purely when in terms of backup to actually being called upon to use when there is a lot more constraint in the market from supply standpoint. Like it could be like a few hours a year or it could be a few hours a month, but it could be actually more than just, hey, I don't have absolute power, we can actually shut it down and, uh, and you need to run the on-site power, right? So that's something that we are seeing. And for that, there are solutions that are in the market that we're coming up with, especially tier four emissions, right? We have products that, uh, that the industry would actually come up with solutions that can meet regulations, that can offer an existing, like a diesel or any other solution that can meet the emission norms, but allows the data center industry to use the equipment, not only when the power goes out, but, on low, but also when there is a peak demand in the market and so on. So that in, that that is one solution that we are that we are working on as an industry. 
The second one is a, is, is a lot more investment going in an alternate fuels as well, right? Because one thing is to actually get the fuel uh, and how you burn the fuel, that, that, that determines the criteria emissions or how much emissions you put out when you actually run the generators. The second is the well to work, right? For example, it goes all the way from what is the carbon intensity of the fuel when it actually goes all the way from the extraction point or generation point to when you actually put it to work. And there, our view is that HVO has a lot more uh, potential to it, and especially in the data center market because of the way the carbon intensity, which is like 70% less than what we have considered uh, compared to diesel, well towards uh, in terms of full carbon content. So those are the solutions that we believe that actually can work. We are also exploring quite a bit in terms of natural gas uh, applications as well, because it does have a lower carbon intensity. But again, it all depends on the use case, right? Do you really want to use that many hours in a year? And does it justify the economics of putting in the infrastructure and so on? What is the uh, grid reliability of natural gas grid in the, in, the, in, the, in the place where you're putting in data centers? So a lot of those things actually goes into considerations. And that is what we're looking at for the next several years is, hey, how do we continue to improve our product where we actually use less fuel, right? And, and at the same time, we have after-treatment solutions and we have uh, higher efficiency products that actually consumes and emits less emissions on site. And on the second hand, how do we actually work with our industry partners to explore alternate low-carbon fuels that can reduce the carbon intensity of, uh, of whatever solution that we put in place? And that's in the near term, right? And then in the longer term, definitely uh, 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 try to be working for a company that is actually investing a lot in hydrogen uh, economy. So we're looking at solid oxide, we're looking at thermal fuel cells, we're looking at electrolyzers, and also different technologies that can actually augment and, and come with the low-carbon or zero-carbon solutions on the ground. Govi, you mentioned that the mission of your generators may not be solely as backup, that, that you might be looked on to handle peak loads. I may use the wrong term here, but is that somewhat a microgrid idea of, hey, I'm going to do generation on site and I'm going to augment the grid when there's, let's just say, when it's July in, in Phoenix, for example. Is, is that what you were referring to there? That is what I'm referring to, but I would be believe. I mean, I would tend to believe that actually it'd be more driven by the local utility companies of the regulation that is mandating it than right. by choice, because right, right. any given chance, I would. I, I mean, it, but always the grid power is going to be the cheapest power, and it and in summer most likely the grid power is going to be the greenest power available in the market. The challenge is always going to be is the peak periods when you really don't have sufficient power to meet all the demand. And then the grid may want to actually require the data center operators to have the flexibility to run on-site power generation or in the case of actually augmented, right, take your data center part of the load off, uh, off the grid. So an interconnected microgrid is where I see things are evolving. But again, our hypothesis actually is that the flexibility element of it will start to take root slowly over the next five years, not something that's going to happen immediately. But maybe by 2030, we think it's going to be around 10 to 12 percent of the market. But then once it gets to 2040, 2050, we think it's going to be about 50 to 60 percent of the market is going to be where flexibility would be absolutely required. Again, those are estimates. And what we tend to focus on is actually is how do we put quantitative data behind trying to actually model it out? When does it make economic sense? Right. When we look at any solutions, Raymond, we look for three things. One is technical feasibility. Is it technically feasible? Right. And second is uh, supply chain feasibility, right? Or commercial feasibility, as you say. Is it really commercially feasible? Because at the end of the day, economics matter, right? You, you can have a best solution out there, but if it doesn't actually mean a cost-effective option for those who are using it, it doesn't really actually uh, drive adoption, right? So that part of it. 
And the third part of it is more in terms of feasibility of application in, in, in data centers. The data centers now are not the data centers that, have, that like, if you go back 15, 20 years back, 15, 20 years back, a data center of like 10 megawatt is a big data center. Now, one data hall could be is actually is like three megawatt, four megawatt, or the campus could be like 300 megawatt, 400 megawatt. So at that scale, the requirements change significantly, right? You cannot just rely on actually saying that, hey, this solution would work for this 100 global, 200 global. It has to work at scale. That means if it's, if it's running, if the application is actually being deployed, the supply chain all the way going up to the component and also once installation supporting and fuel availability, everything should be scaling up to support the data center needs. So that is what we look at in terms of, hey, is it technically feasible? Is it commercially feasible or economically feasible? And third is, is the supply chain and the support infrastructure is viable enough to support a data centers, right? So that is what we actually take into consideration or modeling to understand how we see the adoption growing for different technologies, right? Whether it's in hydrogen, you know, internal combustion engines or in pump fuel cells, methanol, ammonia, natural gas, uh, HEO, diesel, renewable natural gas. So we look at all of those and we model it out to see, is it available, is it feasible? And, and, and what are the probabilities that actually will get there? And that's what we use to actually to guide ourselves in terms of bidding on technologies that may not help immediately, but it may actually help us uh, go faster towards the decarbonization journey five or seven years from now. That is great insight into what, how you make decisions. I, I love that. The phrase, I, mean, I might not get it exactly right, is it economically viable? Commercially, will this work? Because how great the mousetrap is, if people can't make it financially work in their business model, it doesn't help any. And the fact that you guys have that that uh, that perspective i think super super uh interesting and super helpful because i can i used to you know in the, in the computer business before i started doing data centers i sold computers hey i get you as much um, reliability as you want cisplex mainframes they started about nine million dollars how many of them would you like um you know oh i don't need <laughs> quite that much reliability okay i didn't figure you did right and 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 so what capabilities that that are actually make financial sense for the application Govi, I know another subject that we hear a lot of, about in the data center business and the generator business is, is alternative fuels. Hey, we want to be super efficient. We want the generator to run really well. But there's also talk about what you can power it with, right? It doesn't have to be diesel. It can be you know, natural gas. It can be HVO. I'd, l I'd love to hear your thoughts and, and, and what Cummins' experience has been when we think about alternative fuels for these generators. It's one of the most hottest, uh, hot topics that we are debating internally as well. And our understanding of what solutions would work for data centers is, is emerging, it's evolving, right? As we actually learn, test some units and in different fuels and look at economics and see whether it actually makes sense or not, right? Some of the things we looked at, for example, uh, we talked about HVO, right? Hydro-treated vegetable oil, uh, that, is a, that we believe is the right product solution because it can store, uh, it can be mixed in with diesel in any mix, any blend would actually work without much loss in terms of the performance and the power. The well-to-work emission, as I said, is like 70% of the reason that is really good. And it can it has shown that it can improve the particulate emission, matter emissions as well. There are some challenges. The real challenge is the cost premium of HEO compared to diesel, right? And in data center shouldn't be a much of an issue, but it is something that we're tracking closely as well, right? Even if you take uh, US, for example, most of the refineries that are actually manufacturing HEO is the west of the Mississippi. But a lot of demand is actually on the east of the Mississippi, right? So there is a challenge when it comes to the cost of manufacturing HVO compared to the diesel, but also the cost of actually transportation. So if you add everything up, it's not well set up. 
But we're hoping that as more data center companies adopt HVO, it becomes a very well uh, adopted fuel and data center industry, and it becomes our primary go-to fuel in the market. And other areas we looked at, just like any other company, would be is methanol. Uh, that is something that's been discussed about as a really good fuel, and then ammonia, and then that is on the internal combustion side, and also natural gas, right? Uh, natural gas is known, so it, it, is, it is a good product. Uh, the challenge of natural gas is like adopting that to the data center application because most of the natural gas applications that we see in the market are mainly for uh, are designed towards efficiency rather than actually startup time, transient performance that are specific to data centers. Methanol and ammonia are something that we're tracking. It could be a good fuel, but it won't be a drop-in fuel, right? So drop-in fuel is that you have a diesel tank, uh, you, have, you have a fuel tank, you have diesel, you can't get HVO, so you fill in diesel, and then you come back and you found HVO, you fill in HVO, the product doesn't actually care, right? It performs really robustly and so on. But other fuels, you cannot actually mix in like that. So it's not a drop-in fuel. So you need to have, change the fuel uh, handling system on the side. But also the product has to be capable of actually operating with multiple fuels, right? So without any compromise. So if you design a data center with a certain power output and so on, Without making significant changes, you cannot just go and actually swap the fuel. So the D rates are different, the performance is different, and the transient response is different. But we are looking at each one of them. We are positive uh, in terms of longer term, but we are still not clear about application data centers when it comes to methanol and ammonia in internal combustion engines, right? But we are exploring those alternate fuels as good carriers for hydrogen, let's say, right? Because the biggest challenge with hydrogen right now is not just in the generation of hydrogen, is how do you transport hydrogen and how do you store hydrogen? Uh, we looked at certain application for a three megawatt data hall, data, three megawatt backup application with storage for 24 hours. The storage itself was more expensive than the hydrogen fuels and it's going into multiple yeah. millions of dollars, right? So there's a lot of technology that still, innovation still yet to be had in terms of developed in terms of how hydrogen is, is produced green at a much more cost-effective manner, which I think the, the latest announcement from the Biden administration is going to help in setting up these massive hydrogen hubs around the country. But at the same time, how do you transport the hydrogen and how do you store the hydrogen in a more, much more cost-effective manner? If not hydrogen, can you do it compressed without losing a lot of efficiency? Can you store it in a, in a different, like methanol or some other actually carrier that you can convert to the side of use? Those are some of the things that we're looking at and again, our hypothesis actually is that for hydrogen or any other actually alternate fuel that will come in to take uh, the place of um, the internal combustion engine, the entire broader economy has to start using those fuels in much more higher quality, right? In real applications, where you see the trucks, the trucks has to be working in fuel cells or hydrogen uh, combustion engines and so on, before we would see a broader adoption and uh, broader availability of the fuel that can really come and actually display some of the uh, some of the equipments and the technologies that we currently use in the data space. Govi, how does nat natural gas, you mentioned it briefly, is it pipeline and, and you know, going to be delivered that way or can you store it as well? Both, both, right? Pipeline is the best way because you're talking about the scale, right? If you're talking about actually right. 10 megawatt, 12 megawatt, you can actually do a CNG or a LNG station close by. And they can actually come and uh, re-expand, uh, put an expansion tank and actually use the natural gas uh, from there. From the size of the campus we're talking about, right, uh, it could be 300 megawatt, 400 megawatt. It's not a much more viable economic solution, right? Then you have to go to actually a pipeline gas infrastructure. And again, the challenge is, it's, is the infrastructure worth the usage, right? If economics, again, uh, comes to play. In a HVO 
or a diesel backup, you can actually store it and you use it. I mean, I've gone to data centers where for five years, you go and actually look at how many hours the generators have been on, 30 hours, 30 hours, right? And it, But the, yeah. the requirement is when it is called upon, it has come every single time. On every, every one of those 30 hours it got asked, it needs to be on. That's right. Exactly. So for natural gas, right, if you're bringing in generators, again, the industry will evolve where the products will improve to meet the data center transient and the response requirements. So far, that's not been asked from the industry. I have complete faith in the industry and our industry partners that industry will step up. If natural gas is a solution that we're going to be using data centers, we will react all together to actually get our products to a state where the requirements of data centers, uh, the application from transient response, from responsiveness, startup time, everything can actually improve and meet the requirements. But that means that actually there has to be significant infrastructure investment and to get the fuel to the data center, right? To, the, to get the pipeline to the data center. And that depends a lot in terms of where the main trunk line is and how far you can actually run the pipeline to the site and so on. And the second question always comes in is actually, what is the reliability of the gas grid? Is it going to be as good? And if you're talking about Northern Virginia, you have like what two, three gigawatts worth of actually power. If all of them switch to natural gas, and if power goes on, every single one of them actually come online, can the grid really support the amount of uh, the fuel burn that is actually taking place in that, right? Those are some of the questions that yet to be answered. And, and our view and our experiences actually is that there is no one silver bullet, right? And any progress is still a good progress. And that's the way we approach it, right? Hey, let's look at every one of them in its own merit. And it may not apply for every single site, every single place in, in the world when it comes to data centers. But for a given data center application, a different site where the economics are different, where the availability of fuel is different, then the solution could be different. At the end of the day, is it better than actually the alternate, right? Even 10% reduction in carbon intensity is still reduction, right? And if it's economical, let's go for it. And that's the approach we are taking. Kobe, that's very helpful. Thank you. All right, let's, let's take up one more subject. So AI, and I'd love for you to talk about AI, Govi, from two perspectives. One is, you know, it's in the news. Everybody's talking about it. NVIDIA's you know, going to own the world. GPUs are taking over. Everything's great. Generative AI is an incredible thing. So, so talk about it from a demand driver that you guys see inside Cummins. And then if you would, if you can give me two or three minutes on um, how you guys are using AI in your business. I bet, I bet there's some interesting tales inside Cummins for how you guys are taking all the information that you know from all of the data points you have and all these gen sets out there to, to look at the data differently using AI. So can you give me both of those sides of the AI coin? So if I go back and remember the conversation that we're having with the customers back in 2022, even mid 2022, right? Most of the demand that you were seeing was driven mainly by the cloud adoption, right? And just the general digitalization of the world and the coming off the pandemic and so on. And then the chat GPT kind of actually brought home and accelerated a whole bunch. So since then, I would probably say that the general, like what we read in the news is real in terms of what we hear from our customers as well. The demand and the magnitude of change now has gone up significantly. I would say probably like two to three X over the next few years. And I think the big wave is actually coming in terms of 2025 because of the supply chain, right? There is a lag in terms of initiating the project to working through the land permits and everything and getting all the equipments in and, and service in and everything. So from 2025, 2026, we do see a significant jump in terms of number of data centers that are going up and vice versa is the demand on our side as well. And, uh, and just like everyone in the industry, we are also ramping up our supply chain globally to meet that. By the nature of it, we are anticipating that most of the demand for AI driven, especially at the beginning, would be in North America. 
and then slowly spreading out to other areas, including Asia Pac and uh, and 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 to Europe. And uh, just by the nature of actually AI demand, there is a demand in, driven by training models and a demand driven by inference models. The training models are the first initial builds that are going on. And what we are seeing in general is that most of the data center builds prior to the AI wave tend to be in the tier one, tier two cities where there's a lot of uh, existing data centers, right? The cloud, uh, the zone, the availability, and so on. But with the AI, we're starting to see that that is getting spread out where the data centers are actually being built where they have good connectivity and also good power and land available, right? It's not so much the data gravity that is pulling them towards the, the major hubs around the world. And that kind of changes our perspective in terms of like how we need to get ready ourselves to support the customers in the field because it's like now it's going to be out of out of some place far away from where the main uh, data center concentration is. So we need to make sure that we have local capability there and we're getting to support the customers in there. And there is also some discussion going on about if it's a pure play training data center, then what is the kind of reliability that is needed on the part? Because again, if, if, if you're, uh, that is something that is being hotly discussed and debated, I don't know whether it's going to influence the longer term. I think the longer term forecast is about 10 to 12% of the data centers that are being built would be for training and the rest would still be in inference or it'd be for mixed use, right? And in the case of training, do they really need actually the five nine reliability or can they go with actually three nines or can they go with two nines? And what does it actually mean in terms of the backup power requirements and so on? And are there anything that uh, that 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 we can glean from the AI itself, right? But you can put in second points where you start and stop without losing all the work that has been done as a mission critical, similar to what you see in, in other applications, right? So there's a lot of things that are going on. So that demand, we still try to understand how it's going to play out. But we still believe the magnitude of what is coming in is, is huge because, I mean, the second one is, um, you ask how we are using with incumbents, right? And it's a good classic example of how AI is starting to infuse and improve our productivity in real value, right? And just take, for example, Zoom calls, the team calls, right? There is a summary button, there's the AI button that is clicking in and in Cummins, we are starting to use it, use it quite regularly. And you started at the beginning and by the time you're done, it can actually produce an amazing summary of the context of the conversation about who said what, not as a transcript, but in terms of summary, followed up with like action items so nobody can miss, hey, what I didn't sign up for it, right? So that is a good example of, I mean, because Cummins, we are, as mentioned, right, we are one of the largest diesel engine manufacturers in the world. And our engines are used in very different applications, right? In on-highway, off-highway, mining, marine, and power generation, oil and gas, every single like uh, consumable application that we can. And there is a lot of data coming in, right? And, and and definitely mechanical engines, electrical engines, there is a lot of work going on to make sure that we something goes wrong, we diagnose and fix it and so on. Just like any other company, all this data was sitting in different pockets, in different information databases and so on. There are some work that is going on to say, hey, can we deploy AI to go and process that and try to bring it together and see, can we connect the dots that we may be missing because the same person is not looking at two or three different files, right? So those are real life examples. And if you look at telematics, for example, right? Telematics is a good example where most of the applications that are coming up right now are not really meant for stationary power, right? Because if, if you look at the telematics and the, most of the investment is going in, how do we increase the efficiency of the product? How do we reduce the fuel consumption? How do we in, in, how do we ensure that actually we can predict the reliability of when it's going to fail so you can actually proactively interfere and so on? But that is designed towards applications where the products are running all the time. In data centers, it doesn't really matter. It all matters is actually is that, hey, 
when I really would like uh, the product to come up and run, will it run or not, right? So the mindset yeah. itself is completely different. It's not about efficiency. It's about reliability to start. So we are leveraging quite a bit of our partners to actually go and explore. Can we understand the application with the limited data that we have to predict when the next failure may be happening, right? Or when something that uh, like proactive intervention is required so that we can assure that it's going to be starting when it is called upon to start. So those are some of the areas where I see uh, a lot of uh, AI coming in, machine learning, uh, coming in to enhance how we're doing. And the same thing that I think is actually every single industry is going through as well. Govi, I really appreciate you reminding me. Well, I, you know, obviously, I'm in the data center business. I think of Cummins and I think of, of power generation in the data center space. But man, I forget, you guys have marine applications and, and you have so many other uh, uh, you know, uses for your generators. Uh, I appreciate getting reminded of that, that uh, it's a big business. It's a big world out there. Uh, and we in the data center space are just a slice of it supporting it. My, my friend from uh, the land of 10,000 lakes and my fellow Auburn Tiger, Govi, I really, really appreciate you spending a few minutes with me here and, and letting us talk Cummins and talking data centers and, and, and getting a little Auburn football in while we did it. So thank you for that. And uh, I, I hope I can recruit you in my NCAA letter writing campaign to get our 2004 national champion finally recognized. Oh, I will. I will. Thanks a lot, Raymond. I appreciate you having me in here and it is a it is a dynamic industry and super excited to be here and and working with each of our data center customers in, in figuring out what we can do to improve the industry in general. Yeah, we're both lucky guys to get to be in this space at this time, that's for sure.